Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, good morning. Uh, Let me extend my welcome to you. Uh, This morning we are taking a a break from our series in the letter to the Ephesians. Um, We're going to be looking at Psalm 32 together, which you can find on page 462 of the Church Bibles, or it's uh, in the large print, it's page 546. Um, So please do uh, turn to that just now. Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Please do keep Psalm 32 open in front of you. Now, as I was preparing this sermon, I sat there thinking about Psalm 32 and wondered, what does our culture do with this psalm? Not that our society probably pays much interest in it, if it knows much about it. But rather, what does our society do to the man who acknowledges his sin What does it do to to the man here that confesses transgressions? We're not told what what David's sin is here, but you can picture what would happen to him if he he strayed from from our current cultural preferences, can't you? You He'd get added to a long list of names who have been cancelled. You know, pitchforks would be out, 
If, if he was a film star, we'd have to boycott his movies. If he was a politician, um, we, we could no longer vote for him. That's what happens, isn't it? When someone's private sin comes out into the public domain and it's met with war cries rather than forgiveness. It brings pain and, and not the blessing that this psalm says it does. It seems like foolishness rather than wisdom. Oh, how different the way of the world is to the way of our God here in Psalm 32. For here in this psalm, we see exactly how it is that God responds to the sins of his people. And we have it here through the lens of David's experience. As, as David stands on, on the other side of, of his own experience and, and seeks to bring the benefit to us all. Let's see it together. Look down at verses 1 and 2 with me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the happy is the one, joyful is the one. Here in these opening two verses, we're seeing what the, the man with a deep-rooted joy looks like. Now, when we talk about being blessed, we, we almost exclusively use it as a way in describing ourselves to the, to the gifts that God has given us. You know, we, we have a, a family or, or a, a good job or a spacious home, and, and we say we are blessed to have them. Uh, but, but here in the psalm, David is using blessing to, to describe his, his relationship towards sin. And the blessed man is the one in whose sin is forgiven, verse 1. Whose sin is covered and not counted against them, verse 2. And, and David knows that, that this man is blessed because he knows how awful sin really is. Note the extensive ways in which he, he uses to describe sin in these verses. Firstly, it's described as transgression, verse 1. It, it's the idea of, of refusing subjection to the rightful authority, and in this case to God, to the rightful king. You know, it, it's like the petulant footballer who's, who's unwilling to follow his manager's instructions. He's signed him, he's um, picked him for the team, and yet he goes out on the pitch and acts as if the instructions haven't even been given. Also in verse 1, David uses the word sin explicitly. The usage here is the idea of, of missing the mark or the goal. If, if God's standards is, is the bullseye or the treble 20, we, we just never seem to be able to hit it. It's the idea that, that Paul talks about in, in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In verse 2, we, we have sin described as iniquity. And the idea here is of perversion or, or distortion. 
we are not in the proper condition that we are supposed to be in. And, and finally, it is described as deceit, verse 2. Sin is the, the twisting of the truth. It's taking reality and bringing about a fabrication. Sin longs for a world of mirages and blindness to truth. And, and David is, is using all these descriptions of sin, not, not because he's got his thesaurus handy, not because he's, he's writing his UCAS application, trying to impress people with all these words he knows. No, he's using all these descriptions of sin to, to press home to us the depth and the scope of how ugly sin is. As one writer puts it, sin is not some semi-naughty act, but a multifaceted, complex, octopus-like monster that has you. And it's not only the different understandings of of sin that David uses to help us see this, but, but he also uses his own personal experience. Do you notice that? Verse 3, For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away. David is is helping us to feel why the man is blessed for having his sins covered by, by describing to us what it was like when he was living in unrepentant sin. Now, we know that this is a, a psalm of David, a mascal of David, but it's not totally apparent what he's going through as, this, um, as he speaks these words. Some, some think that the psalm comes out of the um, Uriah Bathsheba affair, but, but the text doesn't make that explicit. But what is clear is that uh, this experience, that the silence that David keeps, is bringing about much anguish on him. His lack of repentance doesn't just have mental and spiritual effects, but deeply physical ones. That's often the case, isn't it? When, when something so takes captive your mind and your thoughts and thinking that it not only tires you mentally, but also physically. I have a friend who, who talks about the, the pain of the loss of a close friend that, that grieved him so much mentally that its effects were also physical He missed him so dearly that his chest would also ache. And we see in this psalm that that David is so consumed by his guilt of his sin that it too begins to take toll on him physically. His sin has wrapped round him and squeezed tightly as he groans from morning till evening, longing to be released from sin's vice-like grip. And as the groans increase, his strength and bones start to decrease. Verse 4, his strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's a, a hard thing for us Aberdonians to understand, isn't it? The heat of summer. Um, but sometimes, even as we have it, it often comes as, as a surprise. You know, you've set off on your long summer's walk. No sun cream needed, because we're hardened northerners after all. And it's then that the sun starts to beat down on you as you set off on your hike. 
your water in your bag has turned lukewarm. You, you try and quench your thirst, but it only seems to make you long for the cold water all the more. And as we think of, of occasions like that, that when they've happened to us, and all those feelings that, that go with it, I think that helps us to see how, how David describes the effect his guilt is having on him. Because David's guilt has completely and utterly consumed him, body, life, and soul. And I think the surprise for us here is in verse 4. Because David describes this as, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon him. I think if we're honest, many of us struggle with this. We ask, how can God be, be pressing down upon me like this? You know, isn't he supposed to be my loving father? Well, I think the problem is, is that we, we often set these two ideas against each other. When in actual fact, it's precisely because he is a loving father that that sometimes, sometimes his ever-embracing arms are used to press down on our conscience. Like the father who who tells off his son for, for repeatedly running about the kitchen when there's hot food being cooked. The father warns not because he doesn't love him, he warns precisely because he does. Maybe, maybe some of us, maybe many of us this morning have, have felt moments like this to, in the past to varying degrees. Or perhaps you're, you're feeling God's hand upon you this very morning. You've known consciously that you've sinned. Maybe you've, you've slandered against a brother or you've been harboring judgment um, or jealous thoughts about someone in your home group. Maybe the sin seems so small and and silly, and and the more you think about it, it, the guilt starts to become bound with embarrassment. Or perhaps the sin is sexual in nature. You know that what you're doing is, is against God's commandments, but you yourself have, have made a bit of a truce with your sin, something that you would never have done before, but now you've started to tolerate. You've felt the guilt of your sin, but it hasn't actually drove you to action. Well, David, I think, this morning is exhorting us that in those moments, they, they are supposed to drive us into action. As, as we feel the hand of rebuke, it should lead us to verse 5. Look down with me at it. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice what David's done here. He, he's actually positioned the opening of this psalm in semi-reverse. You know, he, he started by, by saying the man is, is blessed for having sins forgiven. 
but then shows the state the, the man was in before that. And now in verse 5, he's, he's showing us how he went from the misery of verse 4 to the joy of verse 1 and 2. And that's been achieved because David has acknowledged his sin to God and he's found forgiveness. With confession, with repentance, comes forgiveness. David goes from the silence over his sin in verse 3 to acknowledgement of it in verse 5. He goes from trying to cover his own sin to having his sin covered by God in verse 1. He goes from groaning in verse 3 to being blessed, joyful in verse 1. They are wonderful reversals, aren't they? And notice the wonderful simplicity of it. David admitted and God omitted. David admitted and God omitted. It's simple, quick, sudden. And yet we, we often struggle to imagine God like this. We can often picture God as the rather grumpy father, you know, being reluctant to, to forgive his petulant children. Dane Ortland says that we, we naturally think of God touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. You know, kind of face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm and then giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and, and instantly withdrawing. We often think that way, don't we? We sin and, and we think God won't want to hear from us for at least a few days or, or a week maybe, month. And, and even when we, we do get to that point, we, we think we're only forgiven because you know, God is begrudgingly keeping his promises. You know, that, that's what God does. He, he promises to forgive and he, and he will. So what do we do? We, we think we have to be more fervent in prayer or be particularly strong in our Bible reading over the next few days. But that's not what the God of Psalm 32 is like, is he? You know, he, he doesn't handle us roughly. He, he doesn't scowl and scold. He, he, he doesn't lash out the way some of our parents might have. You know, he, he doesn't need a cooling off period before he wants to hear from us. No, the, the God of Psalm 32, our God this morning, is quick to forgive those who come in to him in repentance. David admitted and God omitted. Confession is as beautiful as it is crucial. That's why we have our, our confession of sin here Sunday by Sunday, as David was telling the kids that it's all of us coming together as one family, confessing our sins together openly, Humbly, we are people who acknowledge our sin, who, who know we are transgressors, people who are deceitful, people in need of forgiveness. But confession of sin is as beautiful as it is crucial because after it we have the assurance. We have forgiveness. 
we know that our, our transgressions are forgiven, our sin is covered, our iniquities, though great in magnitude, are not counted. Wonderful truths, aren't they, that, that David brings forth in this psalm. And as he does this, he goes on to show us in the second half the two right responses of the believer in verses 6 to 11. Notice verse 6. Therefore, because the blessed one is the one who acknowledges his sin and is forgiven, do these two things. And the first of them is in the rest of verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. It's really simple, isn't it? That the godly are to do as David has done. They are, they are to offer prayer to God. That is prayer of confession, of repentance. And it's not just an, an initial moment of conversion repentance, is it? No, this is repentance for the godly. And as David does this, he brings us this morning a note of warning. David exhorts us to offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. He's telling us that we need to offer prayer to call out to God whilst we can. He's saying, remember what sin is like. He says, sin is deceitful. It provides no protection in the rush of great waters, verse 6. It provides no hiding place, verse 7. He's saying you can either be in the clutches of sin or in the clutches of God's hand, and only one of them is going to preserve us from trouble both now and in eternity. Brothers and sisters, he's telling us not to be fools, isn't he? That's what the imagery of verse 9 is, is all about. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. you know, David, he's, he's taking us to the farmyard and he's saying, you know, look at the horse and the mule. And what do they do? They, they only obey because they are compelled. That's why they obey. And, and David's saying, believers, don't be like that. You know, the, the images might be a bit unfamiliar. You know, we, we don't live in an agrarian society like them, but I suppose the equivalent would be, you know, don't be like a stubborn child. You know, don't be stomping your feet, kicking and screaming against your father's instructions. Don't be a fool. Don't be like me. Be wise. For the wise are the ones who freely and willingly submit themselves to righteous paths. And secondly, the second response, verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Rejoicing, praise, adulation, shouting for joy even. It's the only true response when we see our forgiveness, isn't it? 
when we see and, and feel the depths of our sin, when, when we realize our terrible state without God, that, that's when we see how blessed we really are. And we are glad in the Lord because, verse 5, you forgave. You forgave. Our confession is, is crucial, isn't it? But it's nothing. It's nothing if we haven't been forgiven by God. The one in whom we've offended. And, it, and it's nothing. And it's unjust if our transgressions haven't actually been paid for. That's something that uh, cancel culture gets right, isn't it? You know, as, as much as you might loathe it or despise it, there, there is underneath the surface a good desire there. There is a desire for justice. There is a deep-rooted instinct that, that someone must pay for their transgressions. It's always a good question, isn't it, isn't it to ask of things going on in our culture, society, or, or what our friends believe, you know, what is good in what they are doing or thinking? You know, we've, we've been thinking about that in house groups this week, you know, asking good questions. And it can be often be hard when, when people talk about things we disagree with. You know, we, we kind of retreat and, and don't say things because we don't want to come across condemning Let's think, you know, what can we affirm about it? What is good about that particular thing? And there is a deep-rooted instinct in cancel culture that, that someone must pay for their transgressions. That is good, isn't it? But what is even better is the glorious Christian truth that God has provided relief for our burdens. He is the one who has provided the hiding of our records, the dismissal of our debts. It was there, wasn't it? In in certainty and promise for the Israelites. And it's here in certainty for us today because Jesus, God himself, carried our sins in his body upon the tree. Certainty for us because Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of debts that was against us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Certainty for us because Isaiah 53 verse 6, the Lord made punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. The burden of our sins can be lifted off us because Jesus himself bore the weight of sin. You know, we, we like to keep our, our silence in shame, don't we? That's what Sam's been looking at. You know, in hiding from, from facing up to, to what we've done. When does Jesus keep silent? On the way to the cross. And why? Because of his willingness to suffer us, suffer for us. He didn't plead his own righteousness our call to be delivered from the situation. That's what we like to do, isn't it? When we, we think the blame is coming at our door, isn't it? You know, I didn't do that. It, it wasn't my fault. She started it. I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done X, Y, Z. No, 
what did he do? He, he looked beyond the suffering of the cross to the joy that lay beyond. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out the other side to provide us with a limitless supply of his mercy and grace. He looked to the joyous anticipation of seeing his people clean. What a reason we have to be glad in the Lord this morning. Amen.